right, all right, all right. It's great seeing all of you this morning. Good morning. As you make your way back to your seats, I just want to say what a joy it is to see you and to greet you this morning. Again, we apologize for the, the heat in here. It's a little bit uh, warmer than usual, but only one of the units is working. The one on this side of the room is working, so I'm fine. One over there is not working, so. Um, but uh, nevertheless, we're glad to, to be here. My granddaughter is sitting with me, and she's talking up a storm. I told her, Shh, be quiet, you need to listen. And so she started listening, and then she starts asking questions about what everything that was being said. And she said, so does God have a plan for me, even though I'm a kid? Yes, he does. And his plan is for you to listen right now. Then she says, then she says, so this is God's house? Does God have legs? I don't know, Karis. We'll talk about this later, okay? I need to go up and preach. So thank God for children. God for children. Well, it's great to see you. I know some of you were out last week on your maybe your last fling before getting back to the fall schedule. And uh, I'm so glad that you're back. Last week we started a a new uh, sermon series, and uh, this the sermon series is in the book of Nahum. And uh, we're going to continue this series today. We're going to be reading from Nahum chapter 1, so I'll give you some time to find it. Nahum chapter 1, we're going to begin reading today from verse 7. And uh, I gave some background last week. If you weren't here last week, please go to our website or to our portal, uh, Facebook page, in one of those places. Uh, you can even go to iTunes, uh, Spotify. You can find our sermons online there and uh, listen to the first part of this because I gave a little more background than what I'm going to give today. But basically, uh, Nahum is a sequel to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. And, and so it's a continuation of that, that story and, and, and a continuation of that message, that, that prophecy. The word Nahum means comfort. It's not a very... A very, it's not a very common name, but I do know somebody here in town by that name, Nahum. And uh, it's not very common, but it, that word means comfort. And we learn in this book of Nahum that the prophecy of Nahum was meant to bring comfort to the people of Israel. Because it was a prophecy of judgment against the enemies of Israel. Against Nineveh, the same city that Jonah was commanded by God to go preach to, and then he decided not to, and then he went through that, that experience that God uh, uh, put him through with, with a great fish that God had prepared, that swallowed him, and then spit him back up. Eventually, he did go to Nineveh to preach this message of judgment, and Nineveh repented, but now a hundred years later, they have repented of their repentance, and now they've returned to their wicked ways, and so God then sent Nahum with a prophecy of judgment against them, which was intended to also bring comfort to the people of Israel who were being attacked, and not, not merely attacked, but as we spoke last week, the, the way that the, the Syrians treated their enemies was just was horrible. They, they, they did unspeakable things to them, and so they had been afflicted by them uh, for, for these years, and so now the prophecy comes from Nahum against Nineveh. And so we said last week that, that Nahum paints us a picture of God that we don't often see, uh, or if we do see it, we, we tend to ignore it. It's a picture of a holy God who avenges 
his enemies with a mighty hand. It's a picture of judgment and justice. But at the same time, it's a picture of love and mercy. There's a balance there that we need to see about God. Many times we, we understand we, we only see the, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And He is all those things. But we neglect the, the balance view. We neglect the other side of God. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have this picture of the, of the balance of God. But we just tend to ignore it. And this is why this series is called Just Love. Just is a justice of God. Love is a mercy of God. And the big idea of the series is that, is that God's mercy and, uh, and, and God's uh, judgment are not in conflict. Justice and love, justice and mercy are not in conflict because God always demonstrates a just love. So just love refers to the justice and mercy of God. And I alluded to this last week. At Romans eleven twenty two, Paul writes this. He he says, "Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God." Some of the older translations will say the goodness and the severity of God. Consider the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you will. You also will be cut off. And so last week I spoke to you about God's holiness and God's, God's power. Today I want to speak to you about God's goodness. We're going to talk about the goodness of God. This is one of the characteristics of God that we see in this book of Nahum. And throughout the, the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see and we read of the goodness of God. How God not only does good things, but He is good. God is good through and through. You and I might do some good things, but we're not good the way that God is good. In fact, uh, Jesus Himself said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father, implication who, who is not evil, but who's good, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? So Jesus recognized that, that we do good things, but intrinsically we're evil. There's nothing good within us in and of ourselves. But God is good. Uh, he, he not only does good things, but He is good. And because He is good, then uh, Paul tells us that He's doing a good work in us. So what we're going through is something good. It's not always, it doesn't always feel good. And not everything that happens to us is good. But the overall picture is that God is doing a good work. And Paul says he will complete this good work. He will take this good work to its completion on the day of the Lord. And so God is good. He's doing a good work in us. God is good. And Paul also says that he works all things for good. Because he's a good God. Because he's doing a good work. He works all things for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So I have two, two main points I want to leave with you. Two things I want to draw out from, from uh, this last part of chapter 1 in the book of Nahum. We're going to begin reading with verse 7. Uh, verse 7. And uh, then I'll give you the, the first main point. Verse 7 reads like this. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. 
But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. Some translations say of his enemies. It's speaking of Nineveh. This, is a, this was a, a, a prophecy against Nineveh. With an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Now here's my first main point. Because of God's goodness, we can experience God's care and protection in our trials. Because of God's goodness, we can experience God's care and protection in our trials. He says that uh, he is a refuge in the times of in times of trouble. He is he is a stronghold. So we can experience God's care and protection in our trials because of his goodness. And so what we see immediately here is that God's goodness is expressed in these two ways. God's goodness is expressed in care for his children and in destruction of his enemies. God's goodness is expressed in care for his children and in destruction of his enemies. That's what God does. He cares for us and he avenges the, the things that, that the enemy has done against us. He avenges his enemies. Our part, our part, and he says this uh, at the end of verse 7, our part is to trust in him. He cares for those who trust in him. So what I'm here to remind you of is that God is good and his goodness is expressed in caring for you, in fighting for you, in protecting, in avenging the things that the enemy has done in your life. Our part is to trust in God alone. Trust in him alone. And God's part is to take care of us and to destroy the enemies that afflict us. So let's let's uh, let's talk about trusting in God. What does it mean to trust in God? I believe that to to trust in God means that we let Him take care of filling in the gaps in our lives. Because we all have gaps in our lives. We all have things that we just can't manage, that we just can't accomplish. We have goals, we have desires, we have things that we want to do. We, We have certain plans, but we just can't reach everything. We reach some things, we do some things, and other things just kind of fall through the cracks. And, and so we, you know, we, we sometimes think if I just had more time, well, more time isn't going to help us. We're always going to have gaps in our lives. It's, it's, you know, that's the way life is here on earth. But oftentimes we try to fill in the gaps ourselves and we leave God out of the picture. When our schedules are tight, how many of you have tight schedules? I think probably all of us do, right? When our schedules are tight, we leave God out. Less church, less private time with God, less God all around because we're busy and we've got things to do even on the weekend. we got, we got things to do, places we want to take our kids, places we want to go. Or we're just so tired and our schedules are tight. And so what gets left out is God. When our money is tight, we leave God out. You know, taking care of our financial responsibilities is something we should do. It's something that honors God. It's important. But sometimes we just ignore God's paths to financial blessing. Sometimes we ignore the commands of God that have to do with finances. And so we begin to make our own decisions with finances and we leave God out. Because we know that we have gaps and we're trying to plug them in. We're trying to fill them in ourselves. Uh, instead, let's trust God with our schedules 
and let him fill in the gaps. Let's trust God with our finances. Let's, let's put God first. And uh, God, I know you're going to fill in the gaps. I'm not saying be uh, careless, reckless with your finances. That doesn't honor God. You meet your finances, but you put God first and let him fill in the financial gaps. Let him fill in the gaps with your schedule, with your activities. Trust him in your relationships. Trust him to fill in the gaps. Trust him with all your life, whatever area it might be where you feel like, you know, I, I can either trust God or I can go out and try to do something myself. Trust Him to fill in the gaps in your life. So when we, when we trust God, then God cares for us. He, he cares for us and, and He destroys the enemies that afflict us. Now, how does He care for us? Well, He, he cares and protects us at all times. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always caring for us. Ryan, our youngest son, just spent the last two years at the University of North Texas working on his master's degree. He just finished up in May. And he's here for the summer getting ready uh, to take a job in New York City next month. And so uh, we've enjoyed having him here. But I was thinking about how during these two years that he was at UNT on, on one occasion that he came home for the summer. He, uh, not for the summer. He came home for the weekend and uh, as he had done several times. And uh, this time, though, rather than going back on Sunday morning, normally he would go back on Sunday morning or maybe Sunday afternoon. Uh, he didn't do that. He decided he was going to wait till Monday morning, even though he had to be at his job there at the university at 8 o'clock Monday morning. So he said, I'll just get up early. And he did. He got up, I think, at 3 or 3.30. And, of course, I, I tried to discourage him. I want him to stay as long as possible, but I also knew he needed to get back. But he decided to stay, and that was, that was fine. So he got up the next morning. It's a four-hour drive or so to, to Denton. And uh, he got up at 3 or 3.30, and I got up with him. And I prayed with him, and then he, he took off. And, of course, my wife and I were, were concerned about he, him staying uh, awake and, and alert. And so I decided that I was going to, to stay up and just pray for him. I decided I was going to stay up, and uh, I was going to track him on, on my phone, make sure he was making good progress and he was okay. And so I did stay up. I stayed up for about 30 minutes. And then, and then I decided that uh, I'm just going to close my eyes just for a few seconds, right? You know how that goes. I'm just going to close my eyes just for a few seconds. I'm so sleepy. And a few seconds turned into several minutes and actually hours. And then I, I woke up with a start, and, uh, and, and I checked his location, and he was almost there. He was in the Metroplex area already. And, but when, when I woke up, and, and I thought, oh, no, you know, I, have, I didn't stay up like I thought I was going to, like I wanted to. And I had this thought. This is so clear to me. I thought this. I thought I would make a terrible God. Because God never sleeps. God never slumbers. And here I was trying to be like God. I'm going to stay awake. Not that I can protect him, but I'm going to stay awake and just you know, try to at least pray for him and, and keep track of him. And then I dozed off. I'd make a terrible God. All of us would. And yet we try to play God when we try to fill in the gaps ourselves. Instead, let's trust God that he protects us in a way that nobody else can because he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never sleeps on us. He's always caring, always protecting, always watching. He cares for your physical needs. 
He cares for your emotional needs. He cares for your spiritual needs. He's a caring God because He is a good God. And He cares for us. Now, as a good God, He also delivers us from the enemies that afflict us. He not only delivers us, but He destroys our enemies because our enemies are His enemies. And so verse 8, look at verse 8. He says, with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Nineveh had been uh, afflicting Israel for, for many years. You know, they were doing it back when Jonah finally went and preached that message of judgment. Then they repented. But a hundred years later, they went back to their evil ways and they're afflicting Israel. And so Israel... I mean, this, this was a group of people that God loved and God had chosen. They were His people. They frequently strayed away from Him, but, but He loved them. And so Nineveh became an enemy of God, and He destroyed them with an overwhelming flood. We'll talk about this later in the series, but it was a literal flood. A literal flood that caused them finally to be destroyed. He, he will make an end of Nineveh. And that's a way that God... Destroyed them. They, and I said to you this, uh, I said this to you last week, they had so many ways to attack and to uh, afflict uh, their, their captives. Nineveh did, the Assyrians did. Uh, and God just used a flood to destroy them, along with other things that uh, were included in that. Because God has no shortage of ideas when it comes to caring for us, to protecting us, and when it comes to destroying his enemies. He has no shortage of ideas. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Whatever they, speaking of God's enemies, those that afflict us, whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and passed away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. For you see, there is no plot that Satan, the enemy of our souls, can come up with. There is no plot that he can hatch that God will not bring to an end. Verse 9 says, whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Verse uh, 11, from you has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. But God says they will be destroyed. They will pass away. And sometimes it seems that Satan comes against us in, in so many different ways. And I, I, I think about David when he, when he was a king of Israel. And he was uh, frequently fighting against the Philistines. It was one battle after another. And um, the, the Bible says that, that one day there was a giant that came. He was a Philistine giant. It wasn't Goliath. It was another giant named Ishbi Benob. And, and this giant almost killed David. In fact... David had already killed the famous, you know, we know this famous story, Goliath. But this giant almost killed David. It took somebody else to come and save David. But this giant came against David with a new sword. 
It wasn't the same sword. It was something different. And sometimes Satan comes against us with a, with a new strategy, with a new attack. And we say, what else, God? I mean, I'm already dealing with this. Now I got this. And now I got this. And they all seem to converge. But you know what? It doesn't matter what Satan plots against us. It doesn't matter what wicked plans he devises. God says it's going to end right here because God cares and protects us. He cares for us and he protects us and he destroys our enemies. In fact, Isaiah 54, 15. I love, I love this verse. It, it simply says, whoever attacks you will surrender to you. That's God's promise. And I'll tell you in a minute who that promise is for. But God's promise is, whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Isn't that great? I mean, I want you to get up in the morning and say, whoever attacks me today is going to surrender, for, uh, surrender to me today because God is good and God cares for me and He protects me. And then just two verses later in Isaiah fifty four seventeen, He says, no weapon that is forged against you, that is formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. Now here's who these promises are for. This is a heritage of the servant's of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And this is what Nahum is also about. It's about God's vengeance, God's vindication, God's justice. And Isaiah is saying that whoever attacks us will surrender to us, and that there's no weapon that can be planned and formed and forged and devised against us to be used in any strategy that will prevail. That will prevail because our heritage as children of God who have learned to trust God, who have learned to depend on God's goodness instead of trying to fill in the gaps ourselves. Our heritage is God's care and protection and God's vindication. I think we should give give God praise this morning for that. Can you do that? Give God praise this morning for that. Because of God's goodness. We can experience God's care and protection in our trials. Then I see something else here in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It reads like this. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. What this tells me is... That because of God's goodness, we can worship God even in our pain. Because of God's goodness, we can worship God even in our pain. When he says, there on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. He's talking about that messenger, that runner who comes with a good news. A good news that says, the, uh, the Ninevites, the Assyrians are being destroyed. The good news that comes and, and says to us that, that God is acting on our behalf. And so what Nahum says, look, you're, you're being attacked, you're being tortured. Because it was a literal torture that they were going through. Where some of the men were being decapitated. Where they were piercing their tongues with, with stakes to the ground. And so he says, you're being tortured. But look, the answer's coming already. So he says to them, celebrate your festivals, fulfill your vows. Now the answer was not there yet. They saw the runner coming. Look, the feet of him who brings good news. Isaiah used the same imagery. Paul referred to that same imagery. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news. 
So the answer was not there yet. It was coming. But Nahum says, even now, begin to celebrate your festivals. Now, what does this mean? Celebrating your festivals was the way they worshipped God. Uh, Judah, Israel, they worshipped God through a sacrificial system that, that Moses had instituted through God's command. So they worshipped God through the, the different feasts, the feast of, uh, of tents, of tabernacles, the different, the different uh, sacrifices. That was their worship of God. So he was saying, hey, go back to your feast. Go back to your festivals, fulfill your vows, offer the sacrifices, celebrate your festivals because the answer is coming. So what he's saying uh, to them, and I think what God is saying to us is that we can worship God even when we're still in pain. Even in the midst of our trial, anybody can worship God after the answer has gotten there. After God has worked a miracle, anyone can do that. But it takes a special people of God who worship God in the midst of the trial when they're still in deep pain, deep physical pain or deep emotional pain. And sometimes I think that emotional pain, in fact, I'm convinced of this, that emotional pain is more uh, difficult to deal with and it maybe hurts even more than physical pain because physical pain, we know how to address it and we know how to take care of it, not as personally, but we can go see a doctor and they know they're trained how to deal with our, with our physical pain. But emotional pain is just... They're so, so mysterious. And so many people suffer in emotional pain. But God is saying, learn to worship even while you're in pain. Someone once said this, and, and, and I read this about this verse. Someone described it this way. Learn to worship well in your darkest days because God is just. Learn to worship well in your darkest days because God is just. And so... The question arose in my mind, what does it mean to worship well? I mean, I agree with this, and, and I, I believe this is, this is what God is saying to us, but what does it mean to worship well? I think worshiping well means that we focus on God's goodness, not just our pain. I'm not saying ignore the pain you're going through, whether it's physical, whether it's relational, whether it's emotional, uh, whether it's spiritual because you, you feel far from God. I'm not saying ignore that. But I'm saying let's focus on God's goodness. Let's revel in God's love. Let's revel in God's kindness and, and not just stay focused on, on our pain. It's easy for us to be focused on our pain because we deal with it daily. If we're going through a trial that doesn't, doesn't seem to end, then we, we just think this is never going to end. But, but God says if we trust in Him, then... Weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And, and, and God says that God's mercies are new every morning. And so no microwave blessings from God. They're new mercies. They're new blessings every day. The, 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 the pain will eventually die out, but God's mercies will continue. So focus on God's goodness. What does it mean to worship well? I think it means to praise God. To praise God, to be emotional, to be excited in praising Him and worship Him, worshiping Him. Because Nahum says, celebrate your festivals. This should be a celebration of God's goodness because the answer is on the way. Amen. We don't have anything to celebrate of ourselves. We're, we're weak. You know, Jesus said we're evil. If you know how to do good things, even though you're evil. And, and honestly, you know, we don't have anything good of ourselves. But God is good. And so we celebrate His goodness because the answer is coming. We see, the, we see the feet of the runner. We see the runner coming with the good news. So we learn to praise God even when it's hard to praise God. 
And let me tell you, when you're going through pain, when you're in trouble, when you're going through a trial, it's not easy to praise God. I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, it's just ignored. It's going to be easy. No, it's not easy. But God says, focus on my goodness and praise me for my goodness. Celebrate my goodness because the answer is coming. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, we read the story of Paul and Silas, how uh, they were uh, preaching the, the gospel and uh, they were attacked by their enemies. Now, God didn't pr- protect them from the attack, but he did spare them. And then he gave them a great victory. But uh, Acts 16, 22, uh, beginning with verse 22, tells us a story of how they were stripped. They were beaten. They were put in stocks in, in the inner chambers of the prison. Now, I want you to picture this. Okay, let's, let's picture this. You're walking down the street. And suddenly, a vicious gang of men surround you. And these are strong men. They're vicious. They're mean. They're evil. And so they strip your clothes, any protection you might have. They pull out their wooden clubs. And they begin to beat on you for about 15 minutes. They're beating on you. They're they're kicking you. They're spitting on you. They're smashing you with their clubs. And there are some officers around. There's some policemen around, but they just kind of step back and, and let it happen. And then with all these open wounds that you've got after 15 minutes of being beat up like this, not just with bare hands, but with clubs, with these open wounds, with broken ribs, with no doubt concussions, internal injuries, they drag you over to their, their prison, their jail, which is nothing like the prisons we have here today. They drag you, they put irons on your feet, and basically they put you down a manhole, put you down a manhole for the night. And if you're thinking a jail back then is like today's jails, which are pretty antiseptic, then you, know, you have no idea what they suffered what Paul and Silas endured. There you are in darkness, in darkness, in the middle of the night. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You might be hanged. Good chance you'll be hanged. You might be beheaded. There's a good chance you could be beheaded. For sure, if nothing else, you'll be flogged again over those wounds, those open wounds and those broken bones. You'll be flogged again. So what do you do? What do you do? You pray, right? That's what we would all do. We would pray. I would pray. I would cry out for help. So did Paul. So did Silas. They prayed. But that's not all they did. Because look at Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Singing hymns to God after what they've been through? I mean, they were in pain. They were hurting. They were at the hands of evil men. They had done nothing wrong. They were innocent of any charges. And so they're, they're exhausted. They're crying out to God. They're pleading for help. I mean, things that I understand. But singing to God, singing hymns of praise to God. You know, if anybody were to say to me, if I was just going through a really dark time and somebody were to say to me, well, you know, whenever you hit rock bottom, just sing to God. I'd probably say to them, you know what? I don't need your simplistic help. I don't need your simplistic solutions. You've obviously never been where I've been. I mean, that's that almost sounds too simplistic. Paul and Silas were at the bottom. 
But they sang praises to God. And sometimes the best solutions in life are the simple ones. The, the solutions that point us to God. The solutions that remind us of God's goodness. Because this was not the end of the story. If you know the story, God set them free in a miraculous way. So they were singing because I think they had learned that praising God is always an appropriate response to His goodness. Praising God in song, celebrating God's goodness is always appropriate. So I want to I encourage you and challenge you if you're going through a trial, if you're going through pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. And you just don't feel like even coming to church. And you don't feel like singing. You don't feel like praising God. I want you to remember that in spite of what you're going through, God is good. The answer is on the way when we trust Him. And so... Like I said, anyone can praise Him after the answer gets there. Praise Him right now in the midst of your pain. Praise Him right now. This past week, I think it was Friday, I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet from uh, a lady whose name is Jackie Hill Perry. And Jackie Hill Perry, is uh, she's a writer, she's an author, I think she's a blogger. And she's, she's well known for a book that she wrote called Gay Girl... Good God. And it's a story, her story of how God delivered her from homosexuality. She was a lesbian. Uh, God saved her. God delivered her. And uh, so the book is called Gay Girl, Good God. And, uh, and I think that's just so, so perfect uh, a focus. It doesn't matter who you are. God is good. And so she tweeted something. And I want, us to, I want you to, to see this. Uh, she tweeted this. Uh, yeah, this was... Friday, she said, when it's hard to praise, hard to pray, play a worship song nearby. Let them sing what you can't say. I thought this is this is such a good start for us. Maybe we're having a hard time praising God. We just don't have the energy, the spiritual energy, the emotional energy to praise God in our trials. Then play some worship music. There's great worship music out there. There's great worship music. Then maybe this is just a way to get started. Play something, play a worship song nearby and let them sing what you can't say. And let that get you into a spirit of of praise. Great worship music. Just uh, earlier this morning, I had to run back to our Coberlin campus to to get something I'd forgotten. And so JJ went with me. And uh, so he's in the van with me. And he says, hey, have you heard this song? And it's a beautiful song. Uh, but God's re- God redeeming us. And so I enjoyed it. Then on the way back, he says, so here's another song. And so he played me another song. I thought, this is good. Just good worship music. Then I thought, wow, I can't, be, I can't be left out here. I can't be left behind. So I told him, hey, do you know this song? And so he played it. He hadn't heard it, so I felt good. But there's some great worship music out there. Learn to incorporate worship music into your life. Music that points you to God and to God's goodness. Rather than listening to music, I mean, there's some great music that's not necessarily Christian, and it's okay. But, you know, rather than filling your heart and your mind and your, your soul, your broken soul, your emotional pain with uh, secular lyrics, why don't you fill your heart and mind and your soul with God's word and, and songs that encourage us to worship God for his goodness? So this may be a good place for some of you to start. But then also I was thinking what's something that Bethany shared with us. We had a great time Wednesday at our Bible study. And by the way, let me invite you and encourage you to be with us. What we do on Wednesdays, what we've been doing all of this year, for the most part, 
with a few exceptions, is on Wednesdays we're, we're studying a little deeper whatever I speak about on, on Sundays. And so this Wednesday we'll, we'll talk about today's message and try to find some application points, some more application points. And so this past Wednesday we're talking about last Sunday's message. And uh, I was blessed with the, um, the, the comments that, that many of you had. Alex shared some very insightful things about praising God during a trial, and uh, you know, I appreciate everything I heard. And Bethany shared something with us that, that when she said it, I thought, oh. And I, I think I heard some other uh, reactions around me similar to that. And, and it's a, a quote of uh, one of the members of a worship band from California. They're called Thrive, Thrive Worship Band. And one of them on a, on a podcast, worship podcast, I had Bethany, after she said that, I asked her where she found it, and I looked it up. And here's what he said. He said, being on earth is the only time we get to worship with pain or in trials. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to worship God. But we're not going to worship God in the midst of pain and trials. We'll be in heaven. So there's something special about this praise that we give God. God has angels in heaven who praise Him all the time. And yet, He desires worship from us here on earth. Have you ever wondered why? He has angels in heaven who worship Him all the time, who bow before Him, and yet He desires our worship. How is our, why is our worship so special to God? Because we can worship Him here on earth with pain or in trials, and that makes it so significant, doesn't it? It makes it so special. Like I've been saying, anyone can praise Him after the miracle, but who's going to praise Him before the miracle. That's the worship that God desires. And so I love this. This just spoke to me. Being on earth is the only time we get to worship with pain or in trials. Remember that God is looking out for you and fighting for you. When I read that, I thought, oh, that just goes right in line with what I'm talking about this Sunday. Because God is good. We can worship Him in the midst of our pain. And I want to encourage you to do that. What will you do when you're in trouble? Will you panic or will you praise? We talked about this this past Wednesday too. When you're in pain, will you panic or will you praise? I've had my moments of panic. I hate to confess it to you, but I've had my moments of panic where I've prayed and said, God, you've got to do something. And just kind of got angry at God. What's wrong with you, God? Don't you see what I'm going through? I've spoken to God that way, sadly. Instead of praising Him. You know, asking Him, like Paul and Silas did, they prayed, but they also sang praises to God. So we can pray, but instead of panicking and trying to fill in the gaps ourselves, trust in God's goodness and praise Him for His goodness, for His care, for His protection. Will you focus on your pain? Or will you focus on God's goodness? Will you panic? Or will you praise when you're in trouble? God is good. Trust Him and praise Him. And I want us to do that today. But first, let's pray together. Would you bow for prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for speaking to us today through this passage, this Old Testament book, which 
Sometimes it can be hard to understand. I, I confess, dear God, that uh, this has been hard for me to, as I study, as I seek your face. It's taken, it's taken effort. It's taken work. But I know that this book holds so much for us. And, and as we read it and as we study it, as we pray it, as we learn from it, we're discovering some powerful things in it. We're discovering things that we knew, maybe intellectually, but that we weren't practicing in our lives. Your goodness, your care, your protection for us is worthy of our praise. So I just want to say, God, for myself, I'm sorry for the times that I panicked and I got angry at you. The times that I panicked and, and I ignored your ways to try to do my own things to solve my problems. Forgive me for that, Lord. Today, I pray that you would be with every person who is going through a painful situation, going through a trial. There, there are days of darkness for them. Help them not to give up, not to give in, but to trust in the God who protects us at all times and cares for us at all times. As we turn to you today in praise, Lord, I pray that you would come right now Strengthen, strengthen, God, your people. Send your Holy Spirit, Father, to remove the blinds from our eyes that have kept us, have kept us from seeing your goodness. We turn to you now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us today? I want us to sing a song, and we're going to seek God today. We're going we're gonna to turn to God. Let's not be in a hurry to leave. I know it's a little bit warm, but I want us to. Just call on God. God, you're so good. Come on and tell him. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to Oh, come on and sing it. Lift your hands together. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to This is a praise that God wants from us. Tell him again, God, you're so good. God, you're so good.